Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 23rd episode, I'll be talking to Helena Hart, host of the Animal Crackers podcast and co-host of Journey into Misery, about Steve Irwin, animals, dinosaurs, and, well, lots of other stuff. We go on a lot of tangents. Along the way, we'll discuss how to deal with co-workers who have spotted you chasing a bug, how Capricales are the wrecking ball of the Tetraonine family, and the real secret to avoiding crocodile attacks. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can be a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. those who may not know you, why don't you tell us who you are and what makes you, in the words of Chris Haley, a beautiful and unique snowflake. <laughs> I'm Helena Hart. I podcast, as probably all I do in my life. I host Animal Crackers, which is a show about animals, essentially, <laughs> and co-host Journey into Misery, which you're more likely to have heard of. Don't really know what else I do. <laughs> well, you're all... Talk also... about zoos on the internet. <laughs> I was about to say, you're very involved in zoos. I do like zoos. I do like zoos. <laughs> That's why I did my degree in, so kind of my only area of knowledge. (laughs) Well, it's a pretty good one. For those people who may not have heard of Journey into Misery or Animal Crackers, essentially Journey into Misery is where Kieran, Helena's fiancé, will talk to her about comic book characters and storylines. And initially it was, as I'm going to try and say it, uh, complicated comic books, characters, and concepts. Just talks about them and explains them to her in a way that is entirely unmansplaining, I promise. So what they'll do is they'll take a character from inception all the way up to the modern era, which is great for somebody like me who read comic books a whole lot up until a certain point then kind of dropped off. And so I get to hear the stories of these beloved characters and what happened after I stopped reading. What makes it great, though, is Helena's reactions. When you explain stuff out of a comic book to someone who doesn't have that emotional involvement, you get some, well, especially if you know, it's being explained to Helena, you get some incredible reactions. Calling the Watcher a sky baby was one thing, (laughs) just to give you a taste. (laughs) I don't recommend listening to it on the train because you will laugh and people will stare at you. (laughs) Um, But then Animal Crackers is the reverse. So Helena gets to explain a certain animal to Karen. When when did the most recent one go up? Was this week, wasn't it? I think it was this week, yeah. Earlier this week, anyway. Or maybe late last week. Yeah, something like that. And, And you actually get to hear a point in this latest episode where Kieran's poor tender heart breaks. <laughs> because I was, that was hard. Oh. That was hard. And the thing is, there was even a warning at the beginning of the episode for a content warning. But even, like, I heard the moment it happened, and I went, oh, that was it. Oh, no. Poor Kieran. <laughs> he was so upset. <laughs> it involves elephants and their most common cause of death, which is not poaching, but is also very sad. I it's very sad. I recommend people go and listen. We try to have fun. <laughs> Most of the time it is a very fun show, but occasionally there are moments that involve sadness. That's animals though, isn't it, I guess? (laughs) All right, Helena. So where did you grow up? I grew up in a pretty small city. It's only a city in a sense it's got a cathedral. (laughs) Is that the classification (laughs) for a city? Yeah, that's a a thing in England, apparently. If you've got a university or a cathedral, we don't have a university. We don't even have a cinema. (laughs) Very small. It's a little city called St. Albans. It's just outside London, in like the countryside, sort of. It's very nice. It's very like Roman. There's a lot of history there, but there's not very much to do. Well, I did just Google it, and the first thing that came up was a rather nice cathedral. That's a pride. With a white van in front of it. That's all we have. The real question is, and this is a, a question I was discussing with Ted Brandt, who grew up in Wooten on Edge. Wooten over Edge, sorry. The question is, how many pubs are in this exceptionally small city in comparison to churches? I know that we used to have the most per square meter out of anywhere in the UK. <laughs> I don't know if we still do, because the recession destroyed all of them. But there's a lot that have been there since, like, the dawn of time. Yeah, I, I recall I'm um, talking to some friends about 
uh, the movie The World's End, which involves visiting 12 pubs in a little town. Someone expressing disbelief that a, a little town would have 12 pubs. And I'm like, you, you haven't been to the UK, have you? Yeah. They're everywhere. Like, there's 12 pubs on, like, one street. <laughs> Each with a deep rivalry and a signature beer. Oh, oh yeah. If you, if you, your family goes to a particular one, then you go to that particular one as a point of pride. Unless you're rebelling. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so apart from drinking, uh, what sort of kid were you? Pretty outdoorsy. Like, there's a lot of pets in my mum's house. So there was a lot, of, a lot of time outside. Like, there's huge woods around where my mum lives. So I spent a lot of time there just sort of collecting random bugs. <laughs> there was a lot of, like, collecting frogs and just, like, putting them in buckets. And she's like, this is my pet for today. I have a frog. <laughs> yeah, like, frogs and snails. Like growing, I don't want to say growing butterflies, but like you put them in a jar with like a stick and then they pupate. Aww. That sort of thing. I was a very like sciencey child. No, that's great to hear. The minute you said collecting bugs, I have, yeah, I have very fond memories of crawling along after bugs. Like with my nose just, just far enough away that I'm safe. You know, if they flick a wing, I'll probably jump back. Yeah. But yeah, especially, you know, bugs and spiders and stuff. I was never quite brave enough to, to catch them, but I was always very fascinated. So yes, it's, it's lovely to hear that. So in, in this sort of outdoorsy, frog-adopting, woodsy lifestyle, were you sort of a, a free-range kid? Were you just sort of turned out and go have fun, come back at dinner kind of thing? or Not really. It was more just in the garden or just everyone is going to the woods, let's go to the woods. Like all of my friends had like similarly huge gardens so it was pretty much the same deal everywhere I went so there was never really a need to be like just go do what you want to do okay when you were roaming around this garden were there particular things that would catch your attention like any particular bugs that you would look for I really like snails I still really like snails (laughs) and Kieran will attest to this like if I see them on the pavement I will move them Uh Like, I'm that sort of person that will, like, go out of my way into a park to put a snail down safely. <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, Kieran holding an umbrella as you hold this snail in your cupped hands and slowly walk it across the zebra crossing. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what happens. <laughs> it's like, it's okay, little guy. Uh, so you'd love it here in Australia because when it, normally in North America, when it rains, you get earthworms on the pavement. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here in Australia... You, you get snails. You get, like, dozens and dozens of snails out on the footpath. That's great. Yeah, although it does make a morning run to the shops in sandals a bit of a worry because you're sort of, like, yeah. dancing, like you're jumping from rock to rock in a, <laughs> in a river. Kind of dodge them. Yeah. Actually, this dovetails rather nicely because initially when I was asking for topics that you wanted to discuss, you brought up, of course, wildlife, and that led to discussion of Steve Irwin. Yes. Now, I know why I'm interested in Steve Irwin. I came over to Australia in 2003, and that was at the time sort of the height of Steve Irwin's popularity, and I saw a very good interview on a program called Enough Rope with Andrew Denton, which is sort of a deep deep dive interview program. And I remember being fascinated by this person who was not actually a cartoon character, was just a person who was very dedicated to wildlife. So what was your experience with Steve Irwin? The crocodile hunter mainly like aside from being in the garden all the time i did watch a lot of nature tv like i spent a lot of time with my grandparents and they're really into like nature documentaries so i used to watch like a lot of them and i think like part of being a child is part of being like super interested in like dinosaurs and everything which i was <laughs> yes. so like i guess crocodiles are basically that aren't they so Seeing, like, a really animated man just wrestle crocodiles <laughs> was so exciting. <laughs> he actually grew up in a very small wildlife park in Queensland. So from a very early age, he was doing what you were imagining doing. And he was, uh, I think he wrestled his first crocodile when he was nine or something like that, where his father had him handling and feeding crocodiles that they had taken from, you know, populated areas and either brought to the park or relocated. And so, like, he, he was would talk about having, like, going into the kitchen and having, like, little joeys in pouches hanging on the back of a, of a kitchen chair and having to, like, step over this and there was a snake in the house and all, all of this kind of growing up wild and it always seemed kind of fascinating. Sounds amazing. <laughs> it does, right? Like, that's the dream. <laughs> yeah, I think his parents, like, founded the Australia Zoo, didn't they? He did, him and his wife, because they took what was a small wildlife park and they turned it into a proper zoo. And I was very lucky in that I got to go and visit. I was up at Noosa, which is sort of a vacation de- destination. I was up on a holiday and there was a, a tour that went to the Australia Zoo and I happened to be there unknowingly 
at a time when he was there as well, as opposed to traveling or, or filming anything. Oh, that's awesome. And they were like, oh, there's a show going on, and Steve's there. So, of course, I rushed there, and he was <laughs> essentially just doing a feeding show and talking to the audience. And they had, and it, it wasn't like, oh, these are the show crocodiles, that they know how to do tricks. Instead, it was, here is a crocodile that we took from a place called Mossman, which is a suburb. And so we've taken him out of that populated area, and we've brought him here. And so he's pretty much wild, but we're going to feed him and we're going to talk about the situation that he was in. Of course, you know, he stood up on his tail and, and took the meat off of him. And then afterwards, we were walking around and there's, we heard a horn go and he sort of zipped by on a dirt bike and, you know, said day and kept going. And I was like, <gasps> that's amazing. Like, there he is. He's a real person. But yes. That's amazing. I guess that's the Australian advantage, isn't it? It is a bit. It's one of the few advantages that, <laughs> that Australians have is proximity to occasional Australian celebrities. Yeah. And, you know, a lack of proximity to absolutely everything else. I guess, like, there's cool animals, but also terrifying spiders. Yes. The worst part is that the most common spider that you see in Australia is a huntsman, which is a fair size, and that's from an Australian standpoint, is a fair size, uh, but they're completely harmless. But what they have a habit of doing is they get into like crawl spaces and like under the eaves of a roof or behind. Yeah, like the corners and yeah, stuff. Yeah, or, or ducting. Like I used to have an, an attic at one of my old flats and I have to pull down the ladder and a couple of times a huntsman would sort of skitter out onto the ceiling. They're big and harmless, but they have a tendency to, if you walk under them, they will drop and land on you. Yeah, yeah, that's not fun ever. <laughs> <laughs> but then the thing becomes you don't want to kill them because they're not doing anything you want to get them out of your house so that they can go and live their life and get rid of pests but then it becomes all right is there any way i can get you out without murdering you luckily we have very high ceilings and bought a ladder because i have been stood at the top of a ladder with a tupper a piece of tupperware and a piece of paper trying to capture this thing that's uh, about the size of like a large grapefruit across which is not a big one but is enough to get your attention yeah, they're not small, are they? <laughs> no, they're not. And you know what? Just for fun. Yeah, like, that's large enough. I'm going to put a picture of a small one that I just found in the chat. Not a small one, a small spider. I just found a small picture I just found into the chat. I'm not going to actually pick up a spider. Yeah, they look terrifying, don't they? <laughs> they do. And again, they, they have those weird sort of flattened legs that kind of hook backwards. Yeah. And that's so that they can fit under places like doors and behind things. At one point, I remember chasing one out of my house with a broom in an attempt not to murder it. And it went around the front wall and behind the fuse box that was on the front the front porch. And I just basically told myself that, right, I'm just never flipping a breaker ever again. Yeah, like that's that then? <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember taking a picture with the flash on, on my camera and all you could see was just these legs sticking out in between the wires and just a, pa a pair of sort of baleful eyes staring back at you. Several pairs, in fact. Yeah, because like, they're so big. Mm. Like, all of the scary things about spiders are just like right there. <laughs> like, even if they're not dangerous in any way, they look like the spiders that are, if that makes sense. Because like, the, the scary ones... Yeah, they look like how you imagine dangerous spiders to be, yeah. Yeah, like, you only ever see, like terrifying spiders that are massive really like i guess it's like there are smaller ones but like you don't see those in as much detail <laughs> yeah and really i mean if you're going to be like mercenary about it you can say well the little ones like you know mouse spiders and funnel webs and things like that that are actually dangerous you're never going to see them unless one of them bites you and then by then you'll have other things to worry about than seeing the spider. Yeah. Because, you know, you'll need to get treatment. But then you should be well on your way to the hospital. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you don't see it, then it's either going to bite you or it's not. So you can be a little bit fatalistic about it. Yeah, definitely. Like, I imagine that's something that's much more of a problem where you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because for all of the, the talk of Australia as this sort of hellscape where everything's trying to kill you, the last act of any Mad Max movie, but made out of animals. Instead, like, it's the strangest thing in that, you know, in nearly 14 years in Australia, I have seen one snake that was not in a zoo. Just one. Really? Yeah, and it was just like we were in, because there's a place called the Blue Mountains, which is not far from Sydney, you know, a few hours on the train where they have, you know, mountains, which is why their name's such. And we're just sort of walking along a lake with some people, and 
suddenly someone put their hands out and you look and it was a red-bellied black snake just kind of going thrash thrash and taking off into the forest and that was it that was the i was maybe two meters away and it was hightailing in the other direction so that was my snake experience and everyone's like oh they're everywhere like no they're really not they can usually hear you coming (laughs) no they are just as scared of you Mm. It's funny, um, all the actual scary stories about snakes that I've heard are all from North America in that my um, one of my uncles used to work in construction and he used to have the job of walking in front of the big steam shovels in the forest to make sure there was no deadfalls or anything that would get caught up so they could walk it to where they needed it to be. And he said because of the rumblings of the, the treads, because it was so loud, you would ha- just see snakes just leaving in droves. Oh gosh, yeah, like everything would just be kind of disturbed. And just run. Exactly, yeah. So it's like you're, you're there and you're maybe, you know, four or five meters ahead of this thing. And you can see, if you look down, you can see everything running away. You know, like there's a ring wraith behind you and all the little bugs are trying to escape. That must be weird. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's. I can't imagine, like, living that life. Not particularly, no. There was also a situation where they startled a pheasant who then flew directly into the shovel of the backhoe they were escorting oh, like no. just like it startled it and it just went thunk like an arrow and it just dropped dead and it's like he's like well you got him <laughs> i guess <laughs> that happens with pheasants a lot weirdly well they just sort of explode out of the underbrush yeah they're not very mindful of anything a wild pidgey appears yeah like um my grandparents used to have loads of them in their back garden just like wild ones randomly and they always used to just like fly into trellises and stuff <laughs> And and they're just like why they're not small either, so you'd imagine that would damage the trellis. Yeah, like they're a fair size, so they make quite like a third. Mm. And you're like, why? Why have you not adapted to be better at life? <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me. Thanks to an Australian wine company naming itself after this, I have a fair bit of knowledge about the Capricelli. Oh yeah, which is sort of like like if you compare, I'm gonna try word this as delicately as I can. If you compare just your average person to an angry Scottish person, that's like the comparison between like a partridge or a pheasant and a capercaillie. They are intense, aren't they? <laughs> They're essentially cannonballs with claws and hooked beaks, and it's just terrifying. And apparently they're endangered because they tend to challenge things to fights that are bigger than them. Which yep. sounds the same. <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> They just want to fight. Yep. And one left alone in a room will kick itself in the head until it gets bored. <laughs> yeah. That, they, they never stop. No. Or learn. <laughs> Coming back to the, the Australian wildlife, you interned at a zoo, right? Yes. Or, I did. What, was it a zoo or was it a jungle park or something? It's a safari, safari park. park. That's the one. Same thing, pretty much. <laughs> so what was there? Did you have any, any particularly interesting animals that you like? I know that, that you've talked a little bit about this in Animal Crackers, that you got to work a bit with the elephants and such. Yeah, right. We had all the, the standard, like, lions, tigers, wolves. I was. I thought you were gonna lead into the bears, and I was gonna say, "Oh my!" But no, you always keep, you always keep me guessing. No, I didn't have any bears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do like bears. I wish there were bears. There were a lot of birds. Like um, a bird of prey company owns the bird center that's within the safari park. Okay. So they just bring in all of these like insane different things every day. Just like, yeah, we just got this ridiculous vulture today. <laughs> So the, the birds were pretty interesting because, like, they weren't the same animals you'd see every day. I remember when I went to, there's a Taronga Zoo here in Sydney has a, a single elderly California condor. And I was incredibly amazed to see it because it was just sort of sitting there. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, I've, I've read about condors. I know they're incredibly endangered. And and I could, I, I never imagined I would get to see one. And then out of nowhere, it just sort of, shrugged once and just opened its wings and sort of glided to the other side of the sanctuary to be fed and yeah then you realize wow okay yes that is an enormous bird it's enormous they are so big and and it's just they don't look it and it's just sort of they kind of unfold their their wings and it's yeah like they they just look like a fairly large normal bird and then it's like whoa no i was wrong (laughs) you're a dinosaur like everything i knew was a lie (laughs) Well, you you mentioned dinosaurs before, so I'm going to ask the the dangerous and topical question: What, Helena Hart, is your favorite dinosaur? Oh, feel free to talk it out. You know, it's it's okay to have reasoning behind it. 
I do really like dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one's my favourite, actually. Okay, what are some of the runners-up? I really like the herbivore ones, bizarrely. Just because, like, they look so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the big, scary, carnivorous ones, fair enough. But just, like, why is your neck that long? <laughs> there's, there's just no need for any of them. You're exceptionally impractical. Yeah, just, like... What? What is happening? Yes, explain yourself, Brachiosaur. <laughs> like, why do you look like that? <laughs> What's the cool one? Is it Parasaurolophus? Yeah, that's the one with the, the yeah, the big long sort of tube, the duck-billed one, yeah. Yeah, with like the cool, crusty thing. Yeah, like... like. Yeah, I really like them. I, I realised, because when we were in, in Chicago uh, in November, we did a tour of the US, and... I got to go to the Field Museum. Oh, I was very excited so for cool. Because they have Sue, and Sue is the most complete and largest T-Rex skeleton in the world. And I, I will confide this in you, because I feel you are a kindred spirit. I may have cried a little when I saw her. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, was not, I was not cool at all. I would have cried. Sue has an amazing Twitter account that like, just tweets random things and does things like, you know, corrects people when they will refer to... Because it, it's capital s capital u capital e because it's it's a like an acronym and people will write capital s small u small e and she'll go look guys you know <laughs> if you're not going to really put in the effort i don't see the effort in you tweeting at me about about me you know it's not really <laughs> worth it that's beautiful and would say things like oh hey free entrance for anyone named sue at the museum because then someone will say hey sue and we'll both turn and it'll be cute <laughs> That's amazing. It's so pure. Because <laughs> like, that's the kind of thing that makes people want to go to the museum. Totally. I mean, also, it's an amazing museum, although it does have a ton of taxidermy because it was set up in sort of the early 20th century, a very early 20th century, and that was really the only way they had of preserving things yeah. that were brought back. But it was, it was actually a very good museum. I was very happy with that. But while I was there, I realized that I had attributed many anthropomorphic feelings around certain things because I had a, a storybook when I was a kid that had different types of dinosaurs and it would you know take a story from the point of view of each of them and the Parasaurolophus was one of them where she was a dedicated mother and was protecting her nest and I remember looking at it and just realizing is it of course of course you're amazing because you protected your nest when people tried to steal the eggs <laughs> And, and stuff like, like a, a glyptodon, which is a, a mammal that's sort of like an ankylosaurus was made out of meat rather than, you know, scales and whatever else. Just like looking at it and having no memory of it up until that moment and going, yes, I remember, you were foraging and people were hunting you and you used your, the, the plates on your back to protect yourself. So yes, I may have attributed a lot of emotion to these dinosaurs. Yeah, I always get really emotional when I go to museums. <laughs> we went to um, the Museum of Natural History in New York and it was just like... It was like an out-of-body experience. <laughs> it's just so big and doesn't look anything like the one in London. Okay. Like, the one in London's very, like, kind of ornate. There's a lot of, like, pretty tiled floors and sort of goldy, like, display boxes. But this one's all, like, dioramas and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, it just looks so cool. <laughs> just, like, they've got, like, elephants just, like, in the middle of a room. And it's like, this is amazing. <laughs> Like, I got very emotional. <laughs> it is nice to see when a museum will make the effort to at least be interesting, rather than, yeah. you know, this, here is one small cup from a Viking settlement behind three panes of glass and a velvet rope that you cannot cross. Yeah, I always found that, because um, St. Albans has got, like, a Roman museum. Oh, yes. And they've got, like, a bunch of, like, skeletons and mosaics and what, what are they call the hypercore? Like, the underfloor heating thing. Oh, yes, yes. Like, we've got, we've got like, a pretty much intact one of those, mm -hmm. like, still in the ground. Oh, cool. And there's, like, a little museum, like, built around it. It's basically just like, here are some things we found, here are some stuff about it, but like no attempt to make that like appealing. Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe, maybe tell me a story about it, say where it fits in with things. It's like, no, here's some arrowheads. And it's like, okay. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> here is mosaic. That's it. Enjoy. Yeah, I always have a, a bit of a, a fascination with extremely small museums and extremely small and like hyper dedicated museums to very specific subjects. I was very upset when I was in Japan that I did not get to go to the I'm gonna try and pronounce it Parasitology Museum. Basically the museum of parasites and study thereof. That's so cool.
I was so jazzed. I was, I, I just wanted to go so badly, but it was just in the, in the wrong part of town and, and they were closed for the, for the time that we were there. And I was just like, it's just, I just want to see about the blood flukes and I want to see like, you know, all the little things, the little worms and stuff. <laughs> I just want to see the bugs. <laughs> yeah, parasitology is so interesting. Like you could make more than one museum about that. Absolutely. And I mean, why is it in Japan? <laughs> Although of the of my Japanese, uh, there was that one that was closed, and there was a photography museum that I really wanted to go to, that Ooh. was in Yebisu, which was out of our way. We took a train to get there, and walked around and kind of found our way around this sort of outdoor area and got to it. And it was there, and I walked up, and there was a sign that said "Closed for Renovations, Opening in March of Next Year," and I was just no. like, <gasps> "What do I do?" And it was to the point where it's like I had already taken the photo of the outside of the building, like saying, yay, we're going to this thing. So I just took a picture of the sign and just went, no, it's not open. However, just around the corner was the Ebisu Beer Museum. Nice. Which is a nice place to go when you're disappointed that another museum is closed because they have beer there. Very true. I don't mean to trivialize it, but it was also actually a very interesting museum in that the story of beer in Japan is sort of the story of economic growth of the past however many hundred years and modernization so there was actually good stuff but yes no no parasites no photography just beer one out of three is not bad (laughs) (laughs) they they gave you little tokens when you went in and you each got three at the time my girlfriend didn't drink beer and so I got her tokens and so I was um very happy at 9 45 in the morning (laughs) But hey, it was holidays, right? So that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Like, if you're not working. Also, I think it's acceptable for at least one day when you're in another country as a foreign tourist to just be disreputably drunk at an early hour. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, if you can, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Like, if the situation lends itself. (laughs) Because it's not like you have to go... You're in a beer museum. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do? It would be rude not to. The whole point of the building... It's for beer. It's so important to the area, they named the area after the beer. Oh, that's adorable. It's like, come on. <laughs> but we've gotten off topic. We were talking about dinosaurs, and you were talking <laughs> about your favorite her- herbivorous dinosaurs. I do like those ones. They're very cool. But yeah, like, the T-Rex is still, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. Velociraptors. I really like Velociraptors. There was a, a, a sort of an interesting thing, because, again, I, I had a, a particular book that I've never been able to find again, because... When I got it, apparently it had a fairly shoddy cover, and so my dad got like a leather sort of book cover from his office and wrapped it up, wrapped this book up in it, so it had like Canada Life life insurance on the front, and so that's how I remember it, it was my Canada Life dinosaur book, <laughs> and it had all of the different ages of the earth and and stuff like that, and I remember being fascinated by a Dinonychus, which I learned later was like an early raptor yeah and so when i saw jurassic park i went oh my god that's a dinonychus and they're like no no it's a velociraptor and i'm like no it's not (laughs) (laughs) that's not what velociraptors look like have you heard there's a song by the double clicks called clever girl have you heard it i haven't (gasps) okay i am going to I'm i'm tempted to say whether i should just stop the show and have you listen to it because it is pretty incredible (laughs) I may just have to find it on YouTube and drop it in because the double clicks are amazing. That's such a cool collection of instruments. Yes, they, they have a, a cat keyboard as well that makes meow noises. It's, it's adorable. You're not the right shape and you're not the right size. You don't get along with others, but you need to realize that the actors in the movies are not what you're supposed to be. You are good the way you are because you are you. That's best you see. We've all been looking for role models and turned our eyes to Hollywood, but that's not where to find them. Look to yourself. Yes, that is good. It's okay. Velociraptor, don't be sad. Velociraptor, because you're the size of a turkey, not a lion. Can't turn a knob and don't have friends to rely on. The movies have created an unattainable expectation. The raptors in those films were a fictional creation. Don't judge yourself too hard, Velociraptor. You are good the way you are, Velociraptor. Rawr, Velociraptor! 
Do they have more dinosaur themed songs? They do. They have an entire album named uh, Dimetrodon. <gasps> That's amazing. This is life changing. Isn't it? Yeah, you should definitely have them on the show. They came to a, well, they were doing an Australian tour, and my friend Denise uh, actually won a Tumblr contest, and they did a, a house show at her house. And she was allowed to invite like 30 of us to cram into her little townhouse. We had fairy bread and snacks, and they performed a show. It was amazing. It was really, really good. That's so cool. Their song, Demetrodon, is basically about dealing with anxiety by using the concept of a Demetrodon and how great they were, and that they they ate sharks and were 10 feet long. That's so cool. <laughs> it's so great. It's, it's like, amazing. Like, dinosaurs are so cool, but it's, like, it's a whole new level of cool when you, like, make them relevant. Yeah, and, and make them into a lesson about, about, you know, body image and unrealistic expectations from Hollywood. <laughs> That's amazing. They also wrote a uh, a love song for the Curiosity Rover that, no joke, makes me cry because it's about imposter syndrome if you're the Curiosity Rover. <gasps> like, everyone's looking at me and they expect me to know what to do. I've got my camera, I've got my little drill, but I don't. I, you know, I'm, I'm faking it on Mars. And it's it's so good. Oh, it's amazing. That's That's beautiful. And I'm just going to, like, binge everything. That's a good... with all of this. <laughs> that's, that's the rest of my day. I bought a, a USB... Because they, they sold a USB drive at their show, which was... It was sort of their name in, like, a little rubber thing, and it's got a, a happy singing dinosaur on the end of it, and that's the lid oh. that comes off, so you can plug it into the computer. That's so cute. As always, the double clicks positively derail a conversation. But they're amazing, so it's fine. It, indeed. <laughs> so a good cause. So I suppose we should try and drag this back into topic again now that, <laughs> now that I've completely derailed us. The dinosaurs are so cool. <laughs> but was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Any particular topics that you wanted to raise? I mean, we could easily talk about dinosaurs and bugs forever. I love bugs. <laughs> and I actually, I did see a bug. I saw a little mouse spider in one of the bathrooms at my workplace. And you think people look at you funny when you laugh at a podcast on the train. Instead, try imagining how someone would look as you pull out your phone and frantically try and get a spider that's only about maybe four or five millimeters long, like in focus as it crawls along the baseboard <laughs> of a bathroom. And other people are like washing their hands, like, what are you doing? I'm like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> what? Focus, focus, that's focus, scary. focus. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. Like, um, when we went to trios last year, I was just taking pictures of like a dead moth on the floor. I was like, <laughs> we don't have these in England. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. In, in wine country, in the Hunter Valley, uh, I found four different species of ants, all different colors. And uh, that's so cool. I was like keeping track of them and like pointing them out to people and being like, you know, you have little like neon yellow ants and they look really angry and they're small, but they're really fast. And you've got these other ones with big heads and these like large chomping kind of mouth parts. And oh, I, I'm sure they would, they would be quite bad if they bit you. And they're like, w- would you like to taste some wine? I'm like, yes, in a minute. We're talking about ants. Like I would, but there are ants. Yes, bring me some wine. I wish to observe your ants. Yeah, and in uni we went to, I can't remember where, it was somewhere in like the Lake District, literally just to look at ants. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> like a day and a half to look at ants. Mm-hmm. And it was like some weird, like old forest that had like a bunch of, like, I think of a wood ants. Mm-hmm. Like these huge nests just like erupting out of the ground and we had to like map how they went underground. Oh cool. But like that basically involved sticking your arm into the nest. Yeah. And they they spray acid when oh, they're angry. No, the formic acid. <laughs> it's not it's not fun. Oh wow. That's awful. <laughs> so yeah, wildlife degrees. <laughs> so you sure this wasn't an elaborate hazing ritual? <laughs> like, oh, she's new, but get her to put her arm in the ant's nest. Yeah, she'll do it. <laughs> yeah, like the person like lecturing us is like an ant expert, so he was totally fine with it and didn't think that it was weird to just put your entire arm into like acid biting red ants. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, this is fine. I was like, mm, is it? <laughs> like, this is not normal. Yeah, I, I can recall it being quite young and even like being at school or something and just like seeing an ant go by and just letting your eyes unfocus and realize that there are, you know, dozens or hundreds of them around and you just have to unfocus to the right amount. 
until you can see all of them moving and everything else is, is holding still, which was ironically enough an example that I used for my therapist when I was explaining how I dissociated from an early age. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Yeah, we've all done it. The ants are pretty cool. I collected a lot of ants as a child as well. Mm-hmm. My neighbour had like a massive ants nest in her front garden. So I used to just like take jars of them. <laughs> I was a very strange child. I was going to say, I mean, it was the, the prototype for the ant farm but just less organised. Like, I did get an ant farm at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just used to sort of create my own. Like, I, like um, at one point, my parents got me, like, a little microscope thing, because mm-hmm. I was just like, just at least get something out of this. <laughs> <laughs> like, try to shove me in the direction of science. Well, I was going to say, it clearly worked, because look at yourself now. <laughs> yeah, like, I got a degree out of it, it's fine. <laughs> it worked to, worked to some extent. Totally. Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up? I don't know. <laughs> Just sort of talk about the general topic of wildlife. Initially, the topic was going to be Steve Irwin, but I think neither of us stayed on it for terribly long. I think the topic is just going to be wildlife. I'm saying it now, rubber stamping it. That's fine. Steve Irwin's always a good like starting point, though. Absolutely, yeah. He's very, he's very interesting. Mm. It's like he seems just like a guy that's on TV that just shouts a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like he's done so much. Just like look at his Wikipedia page, and there's just an incredible amount of like, oh, he he bought this much land to make a reserve, and yeah, and just just left it. Started all of these things, and his wife say like vet nurse, isn't she? So yeah. The zoo's got this whole like rehabilitation program, and it's just there's so much going on mm-hmm. past the I like I sit on the back of a crocodile thing. Yeah, totally. He was just so important to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was actually a very interesting guy. And the thing is, there is a bit of, in Australian culture, there's what's referred to as, as the cultural cringe, which is that anything that's put forward is not to be taken seriously or is not to be, like, you can't admit to liking something that is so open and and loud and not, not as cool as it could be. And frankly, I've always thought that's garbage, you know? You know, like what you're going to like. And I think, if anything, Steve Irwin liked what he did and was exactly who he wanted to be as loud as he wanted to be so i think that's pretty great yeah like he was never ashamed Mm-mm. of trying to get people excited about stuff and i think with of animals like crocodiles i imagine there's a lot of them in australia <laughs> there is a fair amount trying to get people to understand that they're maybe not gonna eat you mm-hmm. at every opportunity unless you're really dumb yeah <laughs> and you know you go waiting in a river at say dawn or dusk when it's really foggy or dark and you wander in and start you know washing yourself in the river like i'm sure it's at least once a year you hear about a tourist or someone's dog being taken by a crocodile and you just read the story and you think you did not do the smart thing here (laughs) you had that coming (laughs) yeah i mean it's, it's an old joke but you were taken by a shark or you were you were bitten by a crocodile where were you in the water. Well, there you go. Yeah, like, get out. <laughs> if you weren't in the water, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're like, they're fine for the majority of the time. Yeah. And I think so much good is done by people who are just trying to show that they're just animals. Mm-hmm. Like, they just want to live their life. Like, they have to eat if you put, themse- put yourself, like, in a position where your food, that's, that's your problem. <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, I'm huge on the whole scary animals not being scary thing. And I think that was part of why I enjoyed the safari park so much, because we had like, we had a bunch of snakes. We used to show them to like school groups. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like four-year-old kids that come in and they're like, do you want to hold a snake? (laughs) And they're like, no, it's going to kill me. And you're like, no, it won't. And here's why. (laughs) It's just important to make people not afraid of stuff. And I think he did that really well. Yeah, totally. Okay, so if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go about doing so? So I'm at Hachie on Twitter. So that's H-A-C-H-I-E-E. All of the podcasts are conveniently in one place. So they're, I think it's Good Egg Podcasts with an S dot com. Because I always just think it's podcast. But it's, it's got an S. <laughs> because there are multiple podcasts. Yeah, there are now. 
they're all under there and the information for such things is on there too along with like contact pages and the like okay great thank you very much for coming on the show helena it's been a pleasure <laughs> i look forward to discussing dinosaurs and weird animals and such on twitter for many days to come yes that's all my twitter is used for some people tweet about their lives i tweet about my hamster <laughs> all right well thanks so much <laughs> This week's signature cocktail is an adaptation of a classic tiki beverage, updated to exclude the unfortunate colonialism. I present The Explorer's Downfall. In a blender, combine four ice cubes, a third of a cup of pineapple chunks, one sprig of mint, just the leaves, half an ounce of simple syrup, one ounce of light rum, one and a half ounces of fresh lime juice, and half an ounce of apricot brandy blend until smooth and slushy. Garnish with a lime wedge and a sprig of mint. When lost in the jungle, it's important to stay hydrated. You can always follow the ants to find your way out. Enjoy! View is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you want to be a guest on The Math of You, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell me what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars and would like to support monetarily, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Lokified. For as little as a dollar a month, you can directly support the show and get access to early episodes, physical mail, and lots of other rewards. Also, I would really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support in a non-financial way, I'm in a real need of some iTunes reviews. If you head on over to iTunes, give a star rating of whatever you feel I deserve, or write a review and say what you like about the show or give me a little constructive criticism. I can take it. If you like the music I play on the show, you can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word and check out the Spotify playlist. I update it every week with all the music I use in the show, including this song, which is Imposter by The Double Clicks. It's a real good one. Next week's guest is actually a bit of a surprise. I learned this week, long after this episode was recorded, that the Double Clicks are coming on my show. I'm really excited. So next week, depending on which I have edited first, I'll be talking to Aubrey or Angela Weber of the Double Clicks. Join me, won't you? I don't know if I can take the next few steps with every ticking second. Some of my confidence disappears and out. Was there a cat descent? Yes, that that was all I was oh no, it's Bolin walking under the under the table and throwing himself at my legs for no apparent reason. Standard cat business. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I was having cats. We're allowed to get one, but we don't want one at the same time as the hamster. Yeah, I can see that ending badly. Um, a friend of mine had that happen with cockatiel that she had that she would basically let roam loose in her house. 
and went on holidays and came back and stepped on a wing. And it's like, it's <gasps> uh, not a good thing. And she was very distraught. And we were all like, that is terrible. But none of us can say we didn't see it coming. <laughs> I like this could have been predicted. <laughs> this could have been avoided as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why we're not introducing her. A cat mm. to the house just yet. We had to wait a little while because Junior, my dog, is a half Jack Russell, half miniature Dachshund. When I first got Bolin, he was a very small kitten. He was only about two and a half months old. And we went to the vet when we were getting Junior checked out. We said, oh, by the way, we're thinking of introducing him to a kitten. And the vet went, that's not a good idea. Your dog is essentially a hybrid of two hunting breeds. Breeds that are bred to hunt and chase small things. So maybe wait until the kitten is big enough to pose a threat in a way. Because, I mean, Junior's not terribly tall. So at least to the point where it can look him in the eye. Just so that he doesn't do something awful. And frankly, I, I know this dog. I have lived with this dog for nearly a year. This dog would have done nothing horrible. He would have looked at it and then brought it his ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most dogs are completely fine. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense to be cautious. Indeed. <laughs> and we've tangented again. I always get horribly off topic. That's, a, that's okay. <laughs> like, there's so much we have to cut out of like anything we record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just get massively tangented. I've got two cats, and, I, and I've had one for almost three years, and I've had the other for about a year and a half. Junior has been, well, used to live with my girlfriend and now lives with both of us. He used to chase cats, and the cats had never seen a dog before because they were indoor cats. Oh, okay. So when we all moved in together, there was a lot of, like, tense standoffs. But now Bolin, the little one, who's got one eye, and Junior basically act like, like flatmates that don't really hang out. No. <laughs> they'll be sort of, like, passing each other in the dining room or something, and they'll just be like, hey, hey, how's it going? Meanwhile, Olive has sort of annexed the the back half of the house as his and Junior's allowed in the front half <laughs> and whenever the two will meet one or the other will puff up and the other will run away it's, it's kind of adorable but only after we train Junior to stop like barking at them repeatedly yeah I have um, like a little Yorkshire Terrier and he just oh. goes crazy at like all postmen <laughs> No, we tried to take him for a walk outside, like, the post sort of depot thing. Mm-hmm. And he was just going insane at all the little trolleys. I was going to say, it must have been, like, Christmas for him. It's like, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> Kieran's off to get his haircut. Yeah. Now, is he one of those guys who, every time he gets his haircut, it looks sort of the same but shorter? Or does he go for flair? Oh, no, he just gets, like, he grows it. Until it's pretty long, and then just, like, cuts it all off. <laughs> so, like, the sides get, like, shaved. I had a friend who was studying for his nurse's degree, his bachelor's, rather, in nursing. And he, when I met him, he would completely shave his head, like, bald, like, down to the skin, and was always clean-shaven. And the minute he started studying, he would just stop shaving and stop cutting his hair. So there would be like three months of him cramming, and he would suddenly have shaggy hair and a beard, like a crazy beard. And That's mad. So everyone at his workplace that he started during the study period just presumed, okay, that's that's just Craig. He has, you know, long hair and a beard. And then one day he walked in and he'd completely shaven it all off down to the skin and shaved off his beard, and no one recognized him. <laughs> I imagine people look super different. Oh, completely. Although it was also because Halloween was the next day and he was going as Zoidberg from Futurama, so he had to paint his entire head pink. And he said it's a lot easier to do when you don't have any hair. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was yeah, it's yeah. not going to be the easiest of a huge beard. <laughs> yeah. Also, you do, unless you're kind of like plaiting it into like tendrils, I mean, you're going to lose that whole Zoidberg face thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, you're going to need to get some like beards. <laughs> like grooming going on. <laughs> I do recall seeing something in, in one of the barbershops I visited where it was like a diagram of old-timey beard styles and there was one that was called the French Fork and it was just basically having like a massive Luke Harper beard but you kind of twist it into these two spikes like a ram's horns that go off in different, <laughs> different directions and I just looked at it wow. and I'm like that just seems so time-consuming. Like a chin mustache. <laughs> <laughs> chin stash, <laughs> which was the original name for beard in the old English. No, it wasn't. Really? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's madness. 
but the thing about the Dresden Files that caused me to know about Sue the Tyrannosaurus Rex is that, okay, and this is going to take a little bit of explaining, so I apologize, is that in the Dresden Files, they said one thing that you're not supposed to do is raise the dead. That's a rule. It's, it's, there's magic, but you, you're not allowed to raise the dead. That's a bad thing. That's black magic. But if you were to raise the dead, the way it works is that the older, like if a new zombie, like if you were to like take a person who died 20 minutes ago and raise them from the dead, they would not be very strong and it wouldn't take much and they wouldn't be able to do very much. So they'd be like, you know, Night of the Living Dead zombie. The older a zombie is, the more power you need and the stronger it is when it comes back. So less, less George Romero, more Terminator. So... What happens at the end of the book is he goes to the field museum and decides that, okay, the rule is I can't bring a human back from the dead. Dinosaur's not a human. The rule of, hey, you know, the older a zombie is, the more powerful it is. Sue's 65 million years old. Yeah, she's she's quite an age. So the idea is you get the climax of a book, the action climax, where your hero gets to enter riding a zombie Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's amazing. <laughs> with, with a one-man polka band providing the drums that power the zombie. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of book that's, series. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and, and, they, and they said the thing you know, they don't tell you about Tyrannosauruses in your books is that they're big and they're powerful, but they can't corner worth a damn. <laughs> so oh no, the whole tale. Yeah, so there are all these scenes of like taking a corner and wiping out like a block of flats, <laughs> or like kick, kicking a Volkswagen across the street, or something. Is sorry. Yeah, I imagine they weren't super graceful. Nope. <laughs> hey, they're ambush predators. So they've just got these huge feet. Yeah, <laughs> they just need to run. Exactly. Yeah, it's like just yeah, eat stuff. Run short burst, overpower something, and you're all good. Pretty much. Like the arms aren't good for anything, are they? So not particularly. I mean, you can't, you can't even like you know brush your teeth. Like, what's so many? It would, it would be the worst to be a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex and just have something like, stuck on your face, and you couldn't reach it. Oh my god, yeah. You're just like, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I can't, I can't even see. And then like trying to like roll, rub it off on the ground, or it's like, oh god, this is so embarrassing. They must have died in some hilarious ways. <laughs> <laughs> Like, tr- like that kind of thing where you're like trying to see if you've got like a bee on you and you're like spinning around yeah, and, like, and you oh, fall no. and break your neck <laughs> just fall into a lake and not be able to get out yeah, no, nobody wants a comedic death <laughs> yeah I imagine they probably weren't very good at getting back up were they so. no if, if T-Rexes were around now I bet you'd find them a lot in that section of the news where it's like uh, and then on the lighter side T-Rex walked into a lake there was a guinea pig on its back, and it was trying to see it, and it ended up rolling itself into the lake. Guinea pig was fine. <laughs> guinea pigs are okay. They can paddle. 